Hey, hey, everyone. A couple things before we get started. A quick reminder that this episode is part of a series we are doing with Intel called No Place to Hide. And if you haven't listened to the first three episodes in this series, you should do that now. Just go back into your SoBob podcast feed and listen to the first three episodes of No Place to Hide from the end of 2019. You'll be glad you did. Also, we should mention that we recorded all of this audio you're about to hear before the COVID outbreak. So you're going to hear moments where Bob and I are hanging out together, talking about going out on the town, traveling. That was all long before the new social distancing reality we live in. And last thing, in this episode you're about to listen to, there are multiple references to violence and domestic abuse. So parts of it may be difficult to hear. Okay, on with the show. Spoke Media. Thanks for tuning in. You're listening to 101.3 FM, Missouri's Pop Station. Coming up, we're going to take some calls from you, our loyal listeners. Noah? Noah, you awake? School, landlord, gas, phone, water, electric, internet. Oh, shit. Internet. Thank you for calling OH Internet Providers. If you are an existing user, press 1. Welcome, valued customer. Please state your reason for calling. Cancel internet plan. I'm sorry. I'm having trouble hearing you. Did you say create a new internet plan? No! Okay. Could you please restate your reason for calling? Cancel my internet plan! Thank you. I think you said you're calling to cancel your plan. Is that correct? Yes. Please hold while I transfer you to an available representative. Your call may be recorded for quality assurance. Thank you for calling OH Internet. This is Christy. How can I help you today? Yes. Hi. I need to cancel my internet. Oh, I'm so sorry to hear that. Can I have the name associated with the account? Yes. It's Aaron Reed. And the home address, Miss Reed? I really don't feel comfortable giving that over the phone. Can you look it up some other way? Hmm. Are you calling from the phone number on the account? Yes. Then, let me see. Yes, I have your account here. It looks like you are currently on our economy plan. Rather than canceling your account, I'd be happy to upgrade your speed at the current cost per month. No, no, I need to cancel it completely. I need it done and my account gone. I am so sorry to hear that, Miss Reed. May I ask what OH Internet could do to keep your business? My company is committed to making things right for our customers. It has nothing to do with OH or your service. Your service is fine. We do have a price match program. If you no, found- No, no, that's not. I don't have another provider. I'm just, I'm moving. Oh, that's wonderful. Congrats on the new place. OH actually offers a moving service to make the transition smooth. No, no, you don't get it. Just please can I cancel the account? The whole thing, completely? Of course, Miss Reed. Before we can complete the cancellation, I have a quick survey to run through. Can you tell me why you're choosing to cancel your internet services? 
Look, I know this is your job and you have a script you have to go through, but I shouldn't have to tell you that my ex-husband is stalking me in order to get my account that I'm paying for canceled. I can't move my account because I don't know where I'm going. And I've already had to call about a million people to have my address and email and car registration and fucking white pages profile scrubbed from the World Wide Web. And every single time, it's like pulling teeth with you people. I have to tell you all my personal bullshit before you'll take me seriously, and even then I have to pay through the nose to make it happen. I have to have this same conversation that I'm having with you with my landlord and my electric company. So please just close my account. I'll pay whatever fee and let me get back to driving my son to the next sleazy off-the-grid motel I can find for us to hopefully be safe one more night. Um, I'm... I'm so sorry, Miss Reed. I will... Uh, I'm just gonna... OH Internet appreciates your business thus far. At this point, your account and contract is cancelled, and if you have any questions or needs in the future, don't hesitate to call. Thank you. Of course. Have a good... Uh, rest of your day. You too. Thanks. Please stay on the line to complete a short survey and enter your personal information for a chance to win free internet Jesus coverage. fucking Christ! Mom? Oh God, Noah, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to wake you up. You said a bad word. I did, I'm sorry. It's not nice, I shouldn't have said it. Can you forgive me? There's a motel in about 30 minutes. We're gonna stay there tonight. Is Michael coming after us? I don't know, sweetie. I don't know how we found your school or your picture. We will just need to figure out what to do next time so we don't have to move again. Maybe we can find a school like I saw on TV where all the famous kids go and no one can ever take their picture. That's a great idea, a no paparazzi zone. Yeah. I'll see what I can do. For now, let's just make it to the next place safely. Deal? Deal. I'm Aaliyah Tavakolian. And I'm Bob Sullivan. And this is No Place to Hide, a So Bob miniseries on the state of privacy, brought to you by Intel. You just heard more from our fictional family, Aaron and Noah, about some of the practical pitfalls that you don't expect to face when you're on the run. And today we're going to be talking about everyday scenarios that can compromise our privacy in an extreme way. For Aaron, it was canceling her internet. For us, it could be as innocent as a walk down the street. Next episode, you'll hear what happens to Aaron and Noah. Remember, they are fictional characters, composite characters, meant to help our listeners understand what it really feels like to be chased through cyberspace by someone dangerous, and why privacy can be a matter of life or death. But today, we're just taking a stroll through L.A. Welcome to my cute little neighborhood, Bob. It's pretty adorable, right? It's lovely, and it seems very safe, wouldn't you say? Yes, I think it's pretty safe. Well, let's play a game. Okay. I spy... Oh my god, Bob. No, really, really. I I thought you said it was safe here. I mean, but I spy... Look, there's a camera right there, outside this bar. And actually, there's two. And another one over there, near that that traffic light. 
Go ahead. You play. Okay. I spy, uh, well, I definitely see, like, at least one, if not probably multiple cameras on that cop car in the corner over there. Um, I spy, oh, like, two cameras over there by that bank. Oh, for sure. Uh, one on top of the realty office. There's a lot of cameras. Oh, look, there's, like, two on my car that's parked right there. <laughs> and, and I guess you would expect that, right? I mean, yeah. we're in a city. Yeah. Everyone wants to be safe, but... How about, remember that neighborhood we walked through a few minutes ago with all those normal-looking houses? They were very cute-looking houses. And every single one of them had one of those ring doorbells with a camera faced out at the street. Oh, my God. How could you tell? How could you tell they all had ring doorbells? Well, now I look for them, and I bet you will, too, now. Yeah, you have a trained eye. Okay, so that was just a short game of I Spy, and it wasn't hard to find what we were looking for. Aaliyah, I bet if we walked from your home to this studio we're in right now, We'd count hundreds, maybe even thousands of cameras. Yeah, I read a story where Business Insider reporter James Pasley did just that. He took pictures of all the cameras he saw on the way to work, and it was pretty alarming. So if these places are so safe, why are we playing this massive game of I spy everywhere? I read recently that there will be one billion surveillance cameras online within the next couple of years. Bob, that makes me think about when I read the book 1984 back in college. And, you know, the whole premise in that book is that there are cameras everywhere. And it felt so far off in the distant future when I was reading it, right? But now it's kind of like, we're there. There are cameras everywhere. And they're looking at you all the time. And who's behind them? Well, it might be a private company, but we know that law enforcement can use them essentially whenever they need to. Now, it's a basic tenet of U.S. law that cops can't barge into your house or rummage through your belongings without a good reason, like probable cause or there's an immediate danger. But right now, there is no limit to the number of times people can take your picture in public and store it and use it for some purpose later. And sometimes big mistakes are made. My brother and I were driving home. He lives with me in Oakland. We were driving home for Thanksgiving. We go see the family. No problems. Driving the exact same car back to Oakland. This is Brian Hofer again. You'll remember him from the last episode. And uh, in Contra Costa County, the sheriff's deputies get behind me on the freeway, flash their lights, tell me to pull over, uh, don't say a word to us for quite a while. Um, I'm, I'm in a very brightly lit area. The car's turned off. You know, the dome lights are on. I tried to make it as, you know, easygoing as possible, and they just won't say a word. Four cars are pinning us in. They force us out of the car at gunpoint, uh, handcuff us put us in different cars. Um, my little brother, for some reason, they really freaked out on. He was totally compliant. Uh, they forced him out of the car as well. And when they went to put handcuffs on him, they ended up throwing him on the ground, put a gun against his head, you know, executioner style, uh, threw him face first on the ground, handcuffed him, put him in a separate car. They finally come up to me and said, hey, you know, we got an alert. This car is stolen. I was like, that's ridiculous, and I could prove it. And um, I, I had rented the car. There was an app on my phone. And I was like, you know, take the handcuffs off. Let me, let me open my phone. I'll show you. And they said, no. They forced me to give over my passcode. I never consented for them to search my phone. And meantime, these other officers are opening all the car doors, the trunk, our suitcases, searching all this stuff. Again, no consent. And um, they eventually confirmed that, yes, indeed, I had rented the car. And um, there was no fact pattern or anything uh, present to suggest we'd ever been violent. They just immediately drew guns. 
And as I'm sitting in the back of those police cars, I see the Vigilant Solutions uh, monitor. And I know Vigilant, they're a Bay Area company out in Livermore. They're, you know, a big player in the license plate reader market. And I see this, like, kind of line uh, of code, and then it says, like, San Jose. And what we sort of found out later is that the car maybe, we're actually not even sure it ever has been stolen now, but maybe at one point in time it had been stolen in the past, it was recovered, and nobody ever took it off the hot list. So it was just a matter of time, I guess, until this particular vehicle was used by someone um, that it was going to, you know, get dinged by a license plate, and whoever just happened to be the unlucky person might have received the same treatment as me. After that New York Times story ran, I had so many people contacting me, either through the Times, KTVU, the local TV station which ran it, or just on Twitter. Hey, the same thing happened to me, same thing happened to me, like, you know, just a database error. Actually, and a lot of them were a rental car database errors and involved guns. You know, it wasn't just being detained. It was being detained at gunpoint based on nothing else than a computer saying, here is an alert. I have chills. Like, I rent cars a lot, right, because I travel a lot. And I'm just thinking, like, if this happened to me, how um, helpless I might feel, how angry I might feel. Uh, I'm picturing situations like this where your brain shuts off and, and like, okay, see, like, I would probably not be able to unlock my phone. I'd be so scared. Totally. You have a gun pointed at your head or your brother's head in this case. So you tell the cop your passcode and tell the cop, just uh, go to my Gmail and search for Avis and you'll find the rental hard. What would you, you know? And then what other kind of information do they see that maybe you don't want them to see? Maybe it's not incriminating, but like, listen, we use our phones all day long for a lot of different things. And just like beyond that, you know what? Beyond that, the invasive feeling in that moment must be horrific. These kinds of mistakes happen and the consequences can be serious. This story is terrifying, but it could literally happen to any of us. You could think of it as just a database error, but I think we should consider the license plate reader technology. Next time a police car goes by, notice those Wally-looking cameras poking out from the hood, angled at the parked cars. They're automatically collecting plate numbers, running them against the database. And it could be just to collect parking ticket money, but those license plate cameras are everywhere, not just on police cars. They capture plates as people drive in and out of places like New York City. String data from all those cameras together, and license plate reader cameras can track our movements without a smartphone. It's a human rights issue, so much so that the ACLU has been paying attention to license plate readers for years. You know, the topic always interested me because I grew up in part in what was then the former Soviet Union. Um, I wasn't Russian, but my parents were diplomats stationed there. We knew a lot of dissidents. And it's hard to grow up in that environment without developing maybe an overzealous interest in surveillance and its impact on people. Catherine Crump was a staff attorney at the ACLU before she took her current job at Stanford. In my uh, first full week of law school, the events of September 11th tragically occurred. The Patriot Act passed in my second month, which vastly expanded the government's surveillance powers. And I've just been fascinated by the subject ever since. And particularly how, as technology makes it easier and easier to engage in surveillance, we're going to uh, preserve a sphere of civil liberties. 
So an automatic license plate reader is a special kind of camera. It takes a photograph of every passing car, the license plate, but also sometimes the surrounding area, and it can translate the license plate number into machine-readable text. And that's useful because then you could compare that plate number against watch lists. So for example, you could have a list of stolen cars, or you could have a list of cars that belong to people for whom arrest warrants have been issued, or you can have sort of more nebulous lists that might raise more concerns like lists of suspected gang members or lists of maybe people the government suspects may be involved in terrorist activities. And so when they drive past a plate reader, it can signal an alert. And by the way, I don't think the civil liberties concern with license plate readers is necessarily that they exist. I think we all agree that we want to locate people who have outstanding arrest warrants. Um, It's that the data then gets stored indefinitely. And if you take all of the license plate hits that are collected over long periods of time, you end up with a pretty detailed and granular picture of where people have been and where people go can actually be quite revealing, right? Where do they go to the doctor? Where do they go to the pharmacy? Who their friends are when they stay there? Where they spend the night? So on and so forth. Um, And giving law enforcement agents or really anyone access to that type of information without any clear legal standards um, is something to be really concerned about because it has so much potential for abuse. Tracking people over time. Sounds a lot like what we talked about with cell phone location data. Yeah, data over time is a big problem. But now that we've started with all these cameras, they're like a virus. They they just keep spreading. There's no vaccine. License plate readers that took photographs were just the beginning. Mark Roman, who we met in the last episode, paints the picture of how real-time video cameras are filling out this surveillance picture in a dramatic way. Podcast hosts and journalists who are looking for the rosy, optimistic view, never call me. I'm not the guest for that. You know, I I sort of see certain things as inevitable. And this proliferation of cameras and other sensors means that we will all be living in this 24-7 observation surveillance world. And I do think that is likely to be altering behaviors and, and chilling conduct. And I think that for many people, is really concerning. I talk about this issue with my son in this context, which is that, you know, for teenagers, there is nowhere they go ever where there isn't a camera. So back to that I spy game. Yeah. When Mark said cameras everywhere, he was not kidding. It makes me think of those ring doorbells. And, you know, there's those weird stories about how hackers are using them to watch kids in their homes, which is super creepy. And that's a really important part of this story. Maybe it's the most important part. Every tracking device, every camera we put up in our homes, every database we make, well, a criminal can steal those. I mean, yeah, you know, this makes me think back to the top of our episode with Aaron and Noah, right? I mean, we've talked about this before, how abusers can use this invasive technology to spy on their victims, who are in some cases, like Aaron's and Noah's, their spouses. People like Aaron aren't worried about a nameless, faceless hacker. They're worried about a person they know finding them again. And this technology makes it easier than ever. And, you know, I'm saying this knowing that there's all those cute videos of packages being left at the door, of dogs interacting with the delivery drivers, of kids wearing Halloween costumes. And I want the good to outweigh the bad here, but I fear that the bad outweighs the cute. And there is cute, right? I mean, there's these happy stories of people shoveling each other's driveways and all of that. And that's fun. But you probably see this problem coming a mile away. Local law enforcement... They love these ring cameras because it essentially deputizes everybody's front door. Ugh, I don't like the sound of that. It's very Big Brother is watching. 
Yeah, I'm, I'm very worried about the outsourcing and privatization of surveillance. Um, obviously, Silicon Valley, that's their business model. They didn't want privacy. They don't want things to be secure. That's Brian Hofer again. Their models are designed to share data, to commingle it, to create these portraits of people so we can, you know, sell widgets and advertising. And that started to trickle into the law enforcement arena because they just realized how much money there is and how much data can be collected and, and how accurately it could pinpoint our locations or other information that might be useful to law enforcement. So I'm aware, I think Amazon has over 400 partnerships now with local police departments. There's also important new technologies that make it easier to process all these videos and images. Kashmir Hill at the New York Times wrote recently about a company named Clearview AI. Clearview AI. That sounds pretty ominous. Yeah. Clearview is this incredible facial recognition app that basically lets you take a single picture and upload it and find every other instance of where that person posted a picture online. So from an anonymous photograph, you can not only probably figure out who that person is, but any place that they've been or any place that they've been online throughout their entire life. So I imagine this could be incredibly useful for, like, law enforcement. That's right. And as of now, only law enforcement can use Clearview. But this is where the concept of face cookies comes from. You know, we're used to the idea that our movements online are tracked by these digital cookies, little text files that say which websites we've gone to. Well, in the future, in the very near future, we're going to be tracked in the same way, but just by our faces. Someone will find our face, do a search, and they'll know everything that we've done through our face, our face cookie. Our images are really personal information. We can change a lot of things about us, but if we don't want to wear disguises, we're pretty easy to recognize. This is Susan Grant again from the Consumer Federation of America. And she says that with all these cameras and the use of facial recognition technology... People can be identified, and that information can be used for all sorts of purposes. Um, I think that cameras that show you who's at the door are very helpful to you. And the information could be helpful, for instance, to law enforcement if you want to uh, give it to them. But it shouldn't just be like automatically fed into law enforcement agencies because they have no business to see who comes to your door uh, unless there's a, a problem that, that you uh, want to report to them. It's just part of this overarching surveillance system that we find ourselves in. And the lines between commercial surveillance and government surveillance are getting more and more blurry because um, so much information that law enforcement agencies are getting is coming from um, companies that are providing these technologies to us. Okay, I have an aside. Yeah. But I have to say... <laughs> which is this diabolical combination of services like Nextdoor and Ring cameras. And have you seen any of these stories? So Nextdoor is one of these neighborhood email lists, essentially. And what you see now are people posting videos all the time saying, here's a suspicious car, here's a suspicious person. Here's... And, and now you've created a public storm about something, and nobody knows who any of these people are or whether they're criminals or whether it's just an innocent person walking by. But the heightened level of paranoia that all of this creates, combined with the level of false accusations, I mean, I think 
again, we're headed towards a police state where we don't even have to involve the police. We're doing it ourselves. It's such a good point. I, I saw a next door posting in my neighborhood the other day that was from somebody, and he was like, it was a picture that his ring doorbell had captured of like some a blur of a person walking by, right? And he essentially was like, the, the gist of the post was, this is a suspicious person. It is our duty as neighbors to post these things and let each other know when we see something suspicious. I just hope that you all do this more. And I remember being really struck by that and feeling sort of like, that feels, this all just sort of feels wrong. You know, because what if we're wrong? We don't know. This wasn't, you didn't capture this person breaking into your home. You just think they look suspicious. And, and like, let your mind wander to how far that could go and how bad this could get if everyone starts posting pictures because people look like they don't belong in their neighborhood. Yeah, it's a really good point. You know, Bob, probably the craziest story we've heard while putting this podcast together was the Baltimore Surveillance Plane Project. Yeah. So basically, the city of Baltimore is so concerned about crime that it is going to put a small fleet of low-flying aircrafts in the sky, outfitted with cameras, so they can gather evidence on residents 24-7. Local authorities say the cameras will cover 90% of the city. And right now, it's just an experiment. But if it really does cut crime, it could become permanent. Ugh, on the one hand, it sounds like the creepiest thing ever. But I'm going to tell you something that'll probably surprise you, Aaliyah. Okay. For a while, my neighborhood in D.C. has had this terrible problem with car break-ins. My car window's been smashed probably five times through the years. Such an awful feeling leaving your car at night, not knowing if you're going to be able to drive it the next morning. You probably remember this happened once in the afternoon when I was going to leave to cover a hurricane and then come see you guys in Georgia. Yeah, that was a really bad day. I had to go to the story without a computer or a camera. So... I have really mixed feelings about this. Despite all my talk about privacy, I actually think I'd be happy if I read that cameras were going up on my street so I wouldn't know that my car wouldn't be broken into. I'm honestly shocked that you have this opinion. I, uh, it's more of an urge than an opinion, and I know it's a contradiction, but that's just how it feels. So I understand why people who are facing crime are ready to give up their civil liberties in exchange for being safe. I want to be able to park my car at night and not worry about it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like, I get it. And I get how people in Baltimore are so frustrated by crime that they might be okay with an eye in the sky. And look, I'm not the only one who's seemingly conflicted like this. Let's listen to Catherine Crump, the former ACLU attorney, talk about the problem of illegal dumping and the fact that cameras are going up all over the country, and particularly in the Bay Area, focused just on large dumpsters to make sure that people aren't illegally throwing their trash out in the middle of the night. The city department was like, well, we want to use surveillance cameras to try to catch these dumpers. And they had to come to this body and sort of debate it. It was really interesting because it was sort of, because Oakland's a liberal city, but there was like one liberal interest and another liberal interest. Like the people, everyone wanted the dumping to be stopped, right? But at the same time, people were concerned about the privacy of the homeless people under the bridge. And then there was the question about whether it worked, right? Because oftentimes they might see the truck, but they wouldn't get the license plate reader. And so it raised all these interesting issues about surveillance, right? Is it effective? Is this a strong enough interest to engage in surveillance? How do we mitigate the privacy interests? And I think it, it's always such an issue. How this group of people deals with different issues has just been really, really interesting to watch, right? What is the place of this powerful technology? No one wants to ban it. Not very many people want to ban it. I don't want to ban it. So it's complicated. It's all about guardrails around the data. I'm very concerned because I don't think there are great examples where we've succeeded with putting good guardrails around data. 
Can we do that? I don't know. But failure to put up any kind of safe guardrails, it just means we're not going to be able to use any of this technology to keep us safer or to stop dumping or to find cures or just to make us smarter. But one thing we can't forget in this discussion about cameras is the chilling effect. The fact that people are watching us all the time. Aaliyah, how does it make you feel when you know you're being watched? Ooh, I feel yucky. I feel anxious, feel nervous, feel like my privacy is being invaded. If your boss was standing over you watching what you did, how did that feel? Oh, I immediately feel very nervous. My like blood pressure probably starts rising. And I'm just like, what do they want? Why are they staring at me? Why are they hovering? Do you think it changes how you behave? 100%. Yeah. I immediately start second-guessing everything. I immediately start doubting myself. Yeah. This is the human condition right now. We're all being watched all the time. A thing observed changes. People act differently when they know they're being watched. What Mark Groman says to his teenage son about cameras being everywhere, that's awful because teenagers and all of us should be free to do the occasional dumb thing without fear of becoming a viral video or ending up in a next door post or a cop database or a Chinese app database. You know, I was really touched by something Brian said. And maybe, Bob, you and I can both think about this. He basically says, a single story of a crime tends to make people overreact. When the truth is, in a lot of America, people are pretty safe. You know, we have to teach people to stop being so afraid of each other. Um, it's really bewildering to me that we're nationally, and I know here locally for, for certain, uh, we are at a 40-year crime low. Okay, that's really, really important. We can't let fear lead us on this issue. Those who would trade liberty for safety deserve neither, Ben Franklin said, supposedly. We face that very choice right now, but it's even more serious in some ways. This episode is about the massive increase of surveillance cameras we can expect in the next couple of years. But facial recognition companies like Clearview are at the tip of a much more important topic, artificial intelligence. They spent the last few decades violating people's privacy by collecting information, their location, their image, their shopping habits. But the next 10 years will be much more about feeding the information that's already been collected into powerful computers that can predict the future, even change the future, for good or for bad. Our final episode will examine this turning point. By 2030, will we be enjoying the fruits of all this amazing technology? Or will we be living in fear of it? That's next time on No Place to Hide. But first, we're going to talk about Tinder babies. Wait, what? Babies. Tinder babies. And as you sort of start unspooling um, kind of all these futuristic things, you realize that there are probably people walking the earth who were created by the algorithm in Tinder because they were on the dating app and the dating app's algorithm matched them with someone else. And those people fell in love and had a kid and created life. Um, and why did those people meet? Well, who knows? That's inside the little black box in the Tinder app. That's next time on No Place to Hide. If you or a loved one have experienced or are experiencing domestic violence, you can call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-SAFE. That's 1-800-799-7233. You can look at our show notes for an extensive list of resources. If you like what you're hearing, head to Apple Podcasts and rate and review our show. We do actually read those, and it helps people find us. No Place to Hide is a Spoke Media production, brought to you by Intel. It's hosted by me, Aaliyah Tepikolian, and Bob Sullivan. We're produced by Kelly Kulf with help from Reyes Mendoza, Trey Jones, and our intern Kendall Lake. Our story editor is Carson McCain. Today's episode was mixed by our senior engineer, Will Short, who also composed our opening and closing themes. 
The other songs you hear in this episode come from First Com. Our executive producer is Keith Reynolds. Thank you to our actors in today's episode. Trey Jones, Caroline Hamilton, Carson McCain, Johnielle Kassner, and Cameron Fuller. And a special thanks to the folks you heard today. Brian Hofer, Catherine Crump, Mark Groman, Susan Grant, and Nick Johnston. And thanks to Jonathan Thompson for recording us at Gold Diggers in LA. Thanks for listening. 